I want to begin our time this morning with a prayer for all that's going on in our world. Please join me as we pray. God and Father, we bring before you today the people and the church in the Ukraine. We pray for their protection and their deliverance, for the end of violence and the saving of life. We pray you would hear their prayers and ours today and the many Ukrainians outside of the United or outside of the Ukraine today to hear and save them, these people, Lord, from these troubles. Encamp around them and deliver them, we pray. We pray also for the Ukrainian people and church living outside of the Ukraine today. Comfort their hearts, hear their prayers, our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning and next week, for the next two weeks in this series, as we're moving towards a conclusion of our Firm Foundation series, we're going to talk about the future, okay? Core beliefs relative to the future. The, the theological term that is used when we talk about the future, some of you have heard this, is the term eschatology. But eschatology simply means the study of last things. Now, we don't know the future. I don't know the future. Anyone who claims to know the future, I mean, outside of, you know, the weather maybe report. We don't know the future. Nobody is given the opportunity or the ability to know the future. But God, we believe, does know the future. Now, God doesn't give us, I'm talking about, as a, as a, as what does the Bible say? What, does the, what, does, what do we believe as Christians? The Bible does um, not give us, God does not give us in his revelation all the details. There's a lot of things that we don't know, but he does give us certain major events that, re, that are about to, to, to take place in the end of the world. This has been going on for, uh, in the scriptures for, we know this for, for, for the whole history of the church. So what does God choose to reveal to us in these major events? A couple things. We're not going to talk about them all this morning, but one is the final judgment of humanity, okay? This has been talked about throughout the Old Testament. It's called the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, right? And it, it's conflated with what's called the second coming in the New Testament, a final judgment um, that comes at the end of the world. So that's one of the things that's happening. Second is the full realization of the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, something dramatic happened. We talked about this just last week, the resurrection, right? When, some, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it was the beginning, you might say, of the end. Or the, it, was, it was God's kingdom, ultimately. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom came into its final chapter. Even the New Testament writers often talk about when Jesus rose to the, to the, to the churches. We are now living in the last days. Now that's been going on for 2,000 years, but this is the beginning of the kingdom of God. And you and I are a part of that if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus today. But ultimately, in addition to the judgment of humanity, there's the full realization of the kingdom. Jesus says this, I think it's in the book of Revelation. He will deliver over the kingdom to his father ultimately, right? The kingdom of God will be in its full expression. That's one of the things just mentioned. And then, of course, there's the eternal state, right? It's something that where eternity, where all eternity, where God has designed humanity and in the church and him and the angels to live forever and ever, it's called the eternal state. The last two chapters of your Bible, we're not going to look at them this morning, Talk about the eternal state, Revelation 21 and 22. Now, together, these events that I just mentioned to you, at least those three, are what you might call the end of human history, right, as we know it, 
right? The end of human history recorded particularly in the book of Revelation. But the inciting event, it's my subject this morning, the inciting event, the thing that, the catalytic event that kicks off all of these succeeding events, right? The, the judgment, the great judgment at the end of the world. There's the fulfillment, the ultimate maturity of the kingdom of God and the beginning of the eternal state forever and ever and ever. We don't know really all that happens after Revelation 22. It's a, it's a great mystery to us. But these great events are catalyzed. The inciting event is the second coming of Jesus, always, also called in the scriptures, the day of of the Lord. It is the dominant theme. Maybe after this sermon, uh, you can read your scriptures a little bit differently. It's the dominant theme. I'm talking about the second coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord. A dominant theme in the New Testament, talked about just in the New Testament, over 300 times. In the 27 books of the New Testament, you see references to uh, the, the second coming or the day of the Lord. Not only mentions, but there are whole chapters Devoted to the second coming, even whole books of the Bible, certainly the book of Revelation. We'll see that in a minute, briefly. But 2 Thessalonians is another one. So I said to myself, I'm getting ready for this message, 300 mentions, where, oh where, oh Lord, am I going to pick one verse of scripture or one or two to give a sermon to to the congregation here about this massive subject? So I do what other pastors do. I read commentaries, of course, but also listen to some sermons. What do other people do in history? And why I went to, I listened, I've never done this for, from beginning to end, uh, a Billy Graham sermon. Those of you who remember the great Billy Graham. Billy Graham sermon um, on the second coming. What did Billy Graham have to say? You know, I found this on the great internet, right, and, and Google. And Billy Graham gave a sermon in 1969 in New York City on the second coming of Jesus. I listened to the whole thing. It was classic Billy Graham, short and sweet, you know, 25 minutes, you know, hard-hitting, no frills, no funny stories, the word of God and an and a, and a invitation. And, you know, hundreds, would have been at Shea State, hundreds of people. Now, while those people are coming, and I'm just watching this, I noticed on the video, because it's an old video from 1969, there's a phone number, you know, 1-800-whatever, you know, and I just thought to myself, I wonder if that number's part of the old uh, 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 original 1969 events just sort of baked into this video, or it's a live number. I was just thinking, I said, what the heck? And I just called that number, <laughs> and wouldn't you know, hello, this is Sherry, how can I pray for you? I thought, oh my gosh, I mean, I, I, my instinct was to hang up. But I thought, that wouldn't be so. And I'm literally, I'm like, I know, Keith. And I just thought, oh, this is, I didn't think anyone was going to be there. It was 9 o'clock at night. And she was as nice as could be. And I just said, oh, I'm kind of laughing. And she goes, and I said, yes, yes, Sherry, you can pray for me. But, but I, I don't need to be saved. <laughs> Maybe I do. I don't know. But I said, I don't need to be saved. But I'm a pastor. And I'm uh, in, in, in upstate New York, and, and I'm just getting ready. I've never given a sermon on the second coming. And I just thought I want to hear what Billy Graham said. She said, well, let's pray. So she prayed for me. It was wonderful. And you'll see how it goes, okay, in the next 25 minutes. <laughs> let, me, let me start with the article which we have done for these many weeks, okay? Our article. We believe... In the blessed hope, those are, those are scriptural terms. We'll see that before we get out of here. The blessed hope, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor for the second coming, and the personal premillennial and imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Short and sweet. Now let me just say one word, uh, uh, 30 seconds or so. I'm going to talk about the second coming, but this, 
these words called pre-millennial. Some of you, it's a, you don't know what that means. It's, you, you gloss over it. Some of you, it depends how long you've been around, uh, it means something. Let me just tell you what it means. Because sometimes we think it means more than it means. All it means is this. What is the millennial? The millennial is the millennium, which means 1,000. In Revelation chapter 20, not our subject today, it talks about the reign of Christ, a literal reign, if you read it straightforwardly, Revelation chapter 20, where Jesus Christ comes back and he reigns in a physical way with his saints, which would include you and me if you're a Christian, in some way that's far beyond our imagination, for a thousand years. There's the judgment of humanity, which we'll talk about in a minute. Then Christ comes back for a thousand years. That's the millennium. And then there's another judgment. It's called the white throne judgment, not our subject today. Now, all premillennial means, because there's different ways to theologically understand this, is that he comes before the millennium. That's all it means. Revelation 19 is the second coming of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ comes in dramatic fashion. Then there's a thousand-year reign. The church has largely believed that was sometimes they have, I'm talking about the church broadly, at times have been what they call amillennial, which means they, don't, they think that's a metaphor, they think that's historical. I think the straightforward reading for most of the last 2,000 years is premillennial. Jesus comes, then there's the millennium, that's all it means, just wanted to get past that and mention it. Now, to um, what do I want to do in this passage? Three things. God and Billy Graham, help me, okay? The promise of the second coming, or the purpose, I'm sorry, what is the purpose of the second coming? It's very important we know what the purpose is. If it's huge, if it's that big of a theme in the New Testament, what is the purpose? What about the timing? Big question. And ultimately, the impact today. The purpose, the timing, the impact today. Now, my passage, which I chose, had to choose one, 2 Peter 3 Verses 3 through 13, follow along as I read. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 13, let's read. Above all, you must understand, this is Peter the Apostle, that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is, the, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. If you're a note taker, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Very opening of the Bible. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Genesis 6 through 8, the flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved, future tense, for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. See, even the church people were like, what gives? And this has only been 30 years since Jesus rose from the dead. For us, it's been 2,000 years. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people 
ought you to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay. Let me just say this quickly. This, this letter we're reading is 2,000 years old. Peter's writing to his church. Why talk about this grave subject? Why do it in a sense, dear friends, who even then they're saying, listen, people are mocking, they're scoffing. This whole thing about Christianity is a lie. Jesus himself, his own words 30 years earlier, had said, be ready. The thief in the night, that's Jesus' metaphor. I will be coming. And they're probably saying, what happened? Okay? And the church was suffering already 30-some years out persecution. The whole letter, 1 Peter, is basically about suffering. So I want you to know persecution and suffering are, have been going on for the Christian church from virtually the very beginning. Okay, very beginning. He's writing to a church that's being persecuted. This is an important theological subject, the second coming. But this is a pastoral letter where a pastor is writing to his congregation about real suffering that's taking place. Okay, The purpose of the second coming, that said. What is the purpose of the second coming? Jesus Christ is coming, according to the New Testament, to set things right. That's why he's coming. Okay? He's going to incite these other events, the fulfillment of the kingdom, the ultimate eternal state. There's a lot of other things that are going to follow, but he's coming, if you read these 300 verses and you look at your New Testament, to set things right. Wednesday, if some of you got this, an email from Alyssa Kettenzero, our director, missions and operations here, missions and outreach here at Browncroft, and it was about the persecuted church, Okay. Some of us don't realize it because we don't live in a country where people are persecuted. That is the United States of America. But the church of Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters all over the world have been persecuted in our day and in our lifetimes and throughout the last 2,000 years. And she sent this out. And here's what I'd encourage you. Those of you got it or you can get it at the end of the sermon. I'll give you a link to read it and open up the links. Here's some of the information you saw in that email. Today, 2022, over 340 million people live in places where to identify as a Christian, right? Just to, I go to church, I'm a Christian. To openly identify as a Christian risks being arrested if not thrown in jail. Okay? 340 million people, virtually the size of this country, live in places where that's true. Open Doors, she gave a link to that email. Open Doors is an organization that's been around for 60 years. That's their ministry is to track this kind of information. In 2021, so let's just use the year that was, 6,000 Christians, people I should say, were killed because they identified as Christians. This is just people they know, they have records of them. 6,000, not in the last 2,000 years, in the last 12 months. 5,100 churches in the year 2021 have been attacked, in some cases burned to the ground. Not in America, but in other places. 6,100 people in the last year have been arrested and are sitting somewhere in a, in a jail with no formal charges. In other words, they're, 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 they don't have any defense. They've just been arrested and they're sitting in jail. 6,100. 3,800 have been abducted or kidnapped. If you remember, the 17 from Haiti, we know about that because they happen to have been Americans, just 
uh, in November of last year. Okay? They have a watch list, Open Doors. And the watch list that grows every year or changes every year is the 50 most difficult places to be a Christian. And every year it changes a little bit. Just this year, one of the top five moved to number one. Guess what country? Afghanistan, right? If you can understand why, right? And things changed in August of last year. Now Afghanistan, 38 million people, obviously a largely, predominantly Muslim country, but there are thousands of Christians. Many of them have come to faith in the last 20 years, right? Right? Thanks to, to, to other things that happened. We can, be, we can have some hope, right? God did great things, even through uh, the, the, what happened in the last 20 years in Afghanistan relative to the church. And, but there was a video on that link of a woman. Of course, her, 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 she's disguised, who's a Christian. This was taken, if, I, if you to believe it, and I do, in February of this year. And she says, listen, let me tell you what's happening. Pray for us. The, as soon as the Taliban took over, all the churches, very modest, very small, were virtually shut down. Okay? We don't, she goes, I haven't seen, the only time I can see my pastor is, is under, it's secret to, at night. That's the only time I can see my pastor, so this woman said. And she said, now let me tell you what's happening. Right now the Taliban is coming around door to door and they're knocking on the doors looking for girls. It said nothing to do with Christian girls. They said, they're looking for girls. Okay, number one. But she said, second, if they discover in this search taking young girls, if they find out you're a Christian, you will be arrested. Okay? This is how much of the rest of the world lives. And listen, guys, this injustice, when I say Jesus Christ is coming to set things right, what I just told you, this little snapshot, 340 million people across the world who live in places where it's dangerous to be, that's just talking about the Christian community. God cares about more than the Christian community. I'm just saying, that's one thing. That's just a snapshot of the injustices. Now let's broaden it up to the great injustices that have been going on forever. How about what's happening in the Ukraine, right? I mean, I could stand all day here today talking about the conflicts, if you want to call them injustices, that happen all over the world, all the way down to our own lives. Let me say this. I don't know about your conversations. The top reason... The people that I talk to, friends, neighbors, relatives, buddies at the gym, etc., the top reason I talk to people who say no thank you to Christianity, I'm talking about the serious conversations that I may have. The number one reason is the unmitigated injustice, suffering, and evil that take place in the world. That's what they say. Rob, I'd love to believe what you believe, but how can I possibly believe in a God who you say is love and is compassion when so much unmitigated injustice and trouble is happening all over the world. Forget about the Christian community, just all over the world, all the time, even in my own life, people will say. How can I possibly believe in a God who is loving and is just? It's an understandable statement. Let me say this. Jesus Christ is coming to set things right. When you look at the picture in the New Testament of the second coming, it's not a humble servant, it's not a baby in a manger, it's a conquering king who's coming to bring justice to a world long organized against the purposes of God. When you look at the picture of Revelation 19, a lot of the pastors I listened to, this is the sermon they gave. I thought, I don't know if I could give this sermon. It's so crazy, you know. In other words, that's the passage they go to. Let me just paraphrase it for you. The actual, most of these verses, like the one we read, is predicting it's coming. It's going to be a day of judgment. It's coming. Jesus Christ is coming to set things right. They're predicting. There's only one where you actually see it happen. 
even though it's in a kind of a visionary way, Revelation 19, this is what it is, the second coming of Jesus. Jesus Christ is coming. It says his, his eyes are like blazing fire. Right? It's unbelievable. It says his robe is dipped in blood. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword to make war with the nations. Now, this is visionary uh, uh, apocalyptic literature. Who knows what all those things mean, but I'll tell you, what, the point is super clear. He's coming to bring judgment finally on a world and its injustice for thousands and thousands of years. Okay, that's why he's coming. That's why he's coming. Revelation chapter uh, 19. Okay, now, let me say this. You might say, even as you know, someone claps in here and say, well, why, why would we be excited about that? That's a very sobering thought. And it is a sobering thought to think that, that there's going to be a judgment. You can't get around it, right? We just read it in verse 7. Keep, it says, by this same word, the present heavens and earth, the present heavens, the one you and I live on, are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Friends, it's not my words, it's the word of God. But let me say this. For believers, it's not a judgment to be feared. It is a judgment to be celebrated. It is even to be longed for. Why? Because I love war? Because I love destruction? Of course not. Because what it means is the final end of the violence and injustice that has been so much a part of our lives that it's become normal. We can't even imagine life outside of it. But what the second coming of Christ is, is God isn't asleep. God hasn't been dragging his feet. He does hear those cries from Ukraine to your life and everywhere in between. And he's coming to finally make things right. Okay? That's the second coming of Christ. Now you might say, well, Rob, that's great if you're a believer... But what if you're not a believer? Okay? And some of you in this room and listening to me may not be. Here's my advice to you. Become one. Okay? <laughs> Become one. That's the point. Jesus Christ is coming. You've heard this message before. You're hearing it again. He loves you. He died for you. He's, he's done all the hard work. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All you got to do is open your hand, open your heart, and receive his grace and his mercy. Listen, become one. Become one. A good God, here's the point, must be a God of judgment. Otherwise, he wouldn't be good. That's the purpose of his coming. Second, the timing. Jesus Christ will come when the work of the gospel is complete. Jesus Christ will come when the work of the gospel is complete. Listen, many continue to believe, Christians and non, certainly non-Christians, that the delay in his coming, you know, these people were complaining 30 years out. We're 2,000 years out. Continue to believe that the delay in his promised coming is a sign that God is not real, there is no God, or that God is untrustworthy. Verse 4. They will say, they're still saying it, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on since the beginning of creation. I've heard that from friends and family members of mine. Okay? Everything goes on as it always has. But let me say this. The long interval, okay, 
It, it, this, this reveals a great misunderstanding in who God is, okay, and a misunderstanding of the scriptures. A long, the long interval is not due to God's indifference. It's due to his great love and compassion, right? God's point of view is not limited to a single lifespan, right? A thousand years are like a day, right? God sees things differently. And listen, God's point of view is also not, he also sees things from a different perspective, an intensity that we lack. A day is like a thousand years, okay? God sees things differently than we do, but he wants to give the world and the people in the world maximum time to turn to him. God is not dragging his feet. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why. That's the only reason he's delaying. I had a phone conversation, um, not last week, but the week before. I, I mentioned to this to you before this summer, August, I was in Kosovo, where I was a missionary 20 years ago. Just a fun reunion trip with some friends. But I'm talking to missionaries now, 10 days ago, who are there. The first time I'd met them uh, was when I was there in August. And I'm talking about going back and even this summer, and I was just talking to them. And they reminded me, I was t- asking them about their work. When I lived there only 20 years ago, Okay, this is just like Senegal, uh, Kosovo, former Yugoslavia, is a small country, 1.8 million people, very small. It's, for a thousand years, it's been exclusively, for the most part, Muslim, okay, Islamic, for a thousand years. So when I lived, when I was there just 20 years ago, there was one small church, it's called the Road of Peace, one small, it's called Evangelical Church, with a handful of people. Today, there are 30 churches, 30 churches. And this couple told me most of these very small churches scattered around 1.58 million people are mostly, they're all first-time believers, of course. There's the, they're all first-time believers, the people that are joining these churches. Most of them are college students, okay? Why is God delaying? Why doesn't God show up? Why doesn't God finally come and end this mess that we're living in? Jesus Christ will come when the work of the gospel is complete. But let me say this. When that time comes, so no one knows the day nor the hour, that's what Jesus said. So people that tell you they know the day or the hour, aren't, aren't, they don't read the Bible very well. But when that day comes, it will be quick, it will be dramatic, it will be overwhelming. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. The whole book of Revelation is about the second coming of Jesus. Look, this is how it opens. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Okay? He's not coming in a corner. He's not coming here some Sunday morning, you know. He's not coming, you know, uh, to just some group of people. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth, I didn't understand this when I first read it, will mourn because of him. Think, well, isn't this good news? If you're a believer, it is. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. Okay? Why are they mourning? Verse 7, we just read it. Because he's coming to set things right. God says, listen, you think I forgot. You think I looked the other way. 
in this injustice, when your kid was this, when your family was this, when, when someone shot your friend, when this war happened, when this injustice, when this corruption happened, you, you think I just turned the other way. I have remembered it all. But I've been delaying my justice because what's most important to me is that people come to know Jesus Christ. I don't care what they did. I want them to turn their hearts towards me like you have, and, I, and I'm going to extend this as long as I can. But when the time comes and only God knows... It'll be like a thief in the night. It's going to be overwhelming. And God's going to say, I've never forgotten in the judgment of rebellion, open rebellion and sin and injustice, and you've hurt the people that I've created. You've damaged not just the church, but humanity. I'm coming to set things right. That day is coming. But it's coming. It will come when the work of the gospel is complete. God is not slow keeping his promise. He's doing it because he loves you. He loves your neighbors. He loves your friends. He loves your family members. He loves the people that are not Christians in your life, in my life, and all over the world. Finally, Jesus Christ's coming should impact the way that we live today. That's how this passage ends. The coming of Jesus, whether it's in our lifetime or not, should serve to purify our hearts and focus our minds. We can live in the knowledge of a world set right, made right. Why? Verse 13. Because in keeping with his promise, see, there's more to the promise than just the judgment of the ungodly. You got to look at the whole thing. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. I mentioned this before. If you're a Christian today, you're not going to be some you know, um, immaterial spirit flying around somewhere. You're going to have a new body, just like the body of the Lord Jesus, more substantial than the one you have today with two ears, two eyes, and a nose, and a heart, an everlasting life on a new earth, but it's a new earth where righteousness dwells, where there's not exploitation. There's not, um, you know, the kind of crime. There's not the kind of corruption or pollution or on or on or on. It's a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where life is lived the way it was meant to be lived. And you and I have the opportunity to live in the light of a world that will be made right. Where, as the great prophet says, swords will be turned into plowshares, right? It's a fancy metaphor to say they're going to take the weapons of war and turn them into good use. Spears will be turned into pruning hooks. Lions will lay down with the lambs. There will be no exploitation of relationships. People will not live in fear. You will have a perfect body. But the degree to which you can, which we long for Christ's return is a measure, you could say, of the spiritual condition of of our lives at the moment. Titus 2. Listen to these words, we're done. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's the first coming. That's what I'm saying. I'm not a Christian. Become one. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's free. Come and drink of the water of life freely for no cost, Isaiah 55. Right? It's free. It teaches us, Christians to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, metaphor for the second coming, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Isn't that amazing? You can look at verse 13 of this passage and say, even though life is, is, is full of all kinds of troubles and sorrows and difficulties, even our life in Western, uh, the Western world in, 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 the, in the great United States of America, even in our lives where we're not being persecuted, where we're not being thrown in jail to be a Christian, like they are in some places, where we're not being abducted just because of our faith. Even in our broken world, upside-down world, full of injustice and sin and corruption, right? We can be eager to do good because we know where this is all headed, right? We know where it's headed to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where the things in your heart of hearts that say to you, I, you have a sense that things could be better, that, the, that, that people could treat each other better. There could be uh, right kinds of relationships and right kinds of respect and right kinds of uh, you know, uh, community and respect. The, the things that you know in your heart of hearts should be true, even in your own lives. Someday they will be true. And he says, right now you should be eager to do good. And at the top of the list... The top of the list, verse 9, is telling other people about Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, friends. Because right now, this is a message of love and grace and compassion. He's saying, listen, God is holding back, right? In a sense, his judgment because of his love for the people of this world for the people that you work with, you live with. And I don't know if Peter's being clever or not when he says, listen, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I don't know what that means. Listen, if you and I get busy sharing the gospel, being a little less self-focused, a little less, you know, building our own kingdoms and begin to see the bigger picture and trying to share Christ with people who are lost. Well, who cares what they're done and who they are? Just... Share the love of Jesus Christ with them. I don't know if Peter's being clever or, or speaking the truth here, right? but he's saying, listen, we can get this thing over with. Kind of what he's saying. Okay. Amen? Amen. Amen? Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for this time. We love you. We thank you. We need you. And Lord, I just pray for us, starting with this uh, pastor, help us, Lord, to to be willing to have the courage to, to look at what the Bible does say about the, about the plan of God, the purposes of God, the, the culmination of your purposes in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world in a bodily form. But Lord, help us not to be um, discouraged by that, but Lord, to take um, courage and, and, and Lord, be grateful to know, Lord, that all things are in your hands. And Lord, you, your love is so far greater than ours. We don't have to, we, don't, we can trust your grace and help us, Lord, to live out of anticipation, as the writer Titus said, Lord, that we might live sober in the sense and in godly lives and with earnestness as we wait for the blessed hope. And Lord, we, we, we think and pray and say, God, help us to be eager to do good in this world. 
and, and not only to serve the world, to make it a better place, however uh, we can do that, but to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to help people see um, their, that God loves them and there is a better way, a better life, a better hope available to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, before I send you out, let me say two things. No video. But there's a, uh, if you're new, even if you're listening to me, you know, who knows? You might say, I just want some information about Browncroft. That website can help you, as well as the, if you're in the room, the people in the lobby are, are, are greeters and, and connect, connection leaders can help you. They're all wearing blue shirts. Talk to them. Help, help take a next step. But if you're listening to me online, you can just go to that website and uh, just, or, 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 or the QR code. We've said this many times. We just want to help you take a next step. Maybe some of you would say, Rob, I'm one of those people that, a little, little unnerved by what you said, but, you know, uh, I, I, I want to I hear more about becoming a Christian. Okay, we want to help you do that today. Okay, so you can, you can find out some more information. We want to get back to you as well. And also, let me say this. When I talked about that email a few minutes ago, uh, the persecuted church email, some of you aren't on that. You say, I, Rob, I didn't get that email. I'm in this church for five years or whatever. Well, you have, to, you have to sign in, right? We don't want to just be sending you stuff. But on that link, if you go to it right now, there's also an option. We put it in here for today. I want to be on that missions email that goes out once a month. So if you want to be on that, you can just check that box and you'll get the next one. And you'll also have an opportunity to um, um, see the one that I just mentioned. Amen? Amen? Have a great Sunday.